Well, he is risen. It is great to be back at Elkdale today. Uh, I was uh, riding in, in my truck with my 13-year-old grandson on Friday, and uh, we were talking about today, and he was talking about church and COVID and all that, and uh, he said, are you going to be at church Sunday? And I said, well, yes, but I'm going to be in Selma. And he said, where in Selma? And I said, well, I'm going to be preaching at Elkdale. And he said, well, why are you preaching there? Why doesn't their preacher preach it on Easter Sunday? And I said, well, he's, he's moved. He's, he's, uh, he's been called to another church. And he said, you mean he just left them? And I said, well, that's not the way it works. You know, I said, you know, a few years ago, Elkdale called him from somewhere else to be their pastor. And now another church has called him to be their pastor. So when you're a pastor, you try to respond to God's leadership, and sometimes that means you move your family. And so it gave me a great opportunity to do a little education for my 13-year-old grandson to try to help him understand that Brother Corey just didn't up and leave you. He got called somewhere else, and God has someone out there that he's going to bring here uh, that will allow this church to even go beyond what it's ever been for the gospel's sake and that's an exciting time. I want you to know we're praying for you as a congregation. You're in good hands with your staff. And I know in due time, God will bring the, the man here that he has for this congregation. Uh, and we'll rejoice with you when that time comes. But it's, it's great to be back in Selma. It's great to be back at Elkdale. I always enjoy uh, coming here. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 20. And I want to start this morning by reading the last two verses of that chapter because I think, I think those two verses are a good summary of what John is trying to say throughout his gospel. John chapter 20 and verse 30. And here's what the Word of God says. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Now that, that's a summary of the entire Gospel of John. That's a summary of what John wanted his, his readers to, to get from, from the Gospel that is written bearing His name. I, I, I believe in some basic things this morning. I, I believe that God is Father, Creator, Sustainer, Provider of grace and mercy to every single person listening to this service today. I believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the only way that God has provided for a person to be forgiven of sin and given the promise of everlasting life. I believe the Holy Spirit has as His role the responsibility of pointing us to Jesus. And, and, and I believe that the Word of God is, is, is our final answer. It is, it is the truth and nothing but the truth. It is the Word of God inspired by the Spirit of God to men under the leadership of God to communicate His message to those of us who now read it 
and, and, and seek to follow it. it. It is, as far as I'm concerned, absolute truth. I believe the Word of God is the only source of absolute truth that you and I have in this world. I do not believe that a politician with an R or a D or an I or an L in front of their name bears absolute truth. I do not believe any organization that is driven by their own cause is the source of absolute truth. But I believe this is the Word of God and the Word of God will change your life. It is, it, is, it is here for the taking. It is here for us to understand. And it is here for us to live by. And the desire of the Holy Spirit is evident in these verses uh, that we just read. The Holy Spirit's desire for you this morning is that you see Jesus as the Christ. Jesus as God's only provision for your sin. To see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from Him, a person cannot come into a saving relationship with God. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how popular you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care, I don't care about any of that. The Bible says none of that means anything as far as your eternal destiny is concerned. The only thing that matters is your standing before God in light of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you've not had a life-changing relationship with Jesus while you're alive on this earth, you will not spend eternity with God in heaven. That is absolute truth. And, and anybody who says anything other than that is contrary to the Word of God, and this is our absolute truth. So the Holy Spirit's desire is that you would see Jesus as the Christ. Also, that you would see Jesus as the Son of God. He's not just any other man who was born. He's, he's not just a, a anybody's baby that would have been born in a, in a manger out back of the inn in Bethlehem. He, he's, he's different. John's Gospel Chapter 1 identifies Jesus as being present at creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And all things were made by Him. Without anything, was, nothing was made. And, and, and later in, in the chapter, He comes down and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So as far as John is concerned... There is the pre-existence of Jesus. Long before Bethlehem, Jesus is. <laughs> I didn't say was, I said is. He was, he was alive even before creation. It's, it's phenomenal. The, the, John in, his, in, in the book Revelation would go on to say, he would talk about the one who is and was and is to come. So, so the Holy Spirit's desire is that we would see Jesus not as just another human being, but as the Son of God. That's a critical component. The Holy Spirit also desires that you receive the life that comes from God. If you want to reach your potential as a person, you'll only do it in Christ. If you want to become the person that God has created you to be, you will only be able to accomplish that through a personal, life-changing relationship with Jesus. 
So you may be the kind of person that when you walk down the street, heads turn in your direction and everybody knows your name. That won't do you a bit of good when it comes to standing before God. You, you, may, you may have the reputation of being the, the most finest upstanding person in the whole, whole, whole city of Selma, Alabama, and that won't have any status or standing as far as God is concerned. The only thing that's going to matter is what you've done with Jesus who's called the Christ. And that's why Easter is so significant for us. It gives us an opportunity to spotlight Jesus. It gives us a, an opportunity to spotlight the one who overcame death and now lives again and lives forevermore and can bring life into a, a person's body where death is presently living and residing. Separation from God can be replaced with the life that only Jesus can give. And the Holy Spirit's desire is that every one of us would receive the life that comes from God. So what happened through resurrection? What happened? First of all, Satan is defeated on his own turf. Jesus came to earth, lived his perfect life, died that sinless life, death of a sinless man, was, was one who, who took upon himself the sin of others. He substituted himself for us, if you, if you will. The fact is, every one of us, did, we should have been on the cross. Our sin would have put us there since the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, going to the cross in our behalf and in our place, died for us. And so we, we understand that Satan is defeated on his own turf, on his own ground. Secondly, the grip of sin is broken. Once sin enters a person's life by choice, there is nothing a person can do about removing that sin except let the one who died for sin take it away. And that's exactly what Jesus did through resurrection. Thirdly, death is overcome. Paul would, in 1 Corinthians 15, talk about, Oh, grave, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? Because it's been defeated in Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, death was overcome. You and I don't have to live under a sentence of death any longer in terms of spiritual death in relationship with God. Because Jesus, through His resurrection, has made it possible for us to pass from death to life. Death is overcome. Also, life is offered. We can, we're given the opportunity to believe. We're given an invitation from God Himself through the person of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit for God to do a work in your life that can change you from the inside out. And then presence is realized. That's what happened through the resurrection. The presence of God is realized. We'll, we're going to back up and read in John chapter 20, starting in verse 24 in just a moment, if you want to go ahead and look there. But it's, a, it's an interesting uh, section of Scripture when you consider what has happened here. Jesus has already said to his disciples in John 14, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to be here with you earthly, physically anymore. Uh, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the paraclete, 
the one who is called alongside for the purpose of help, the Holy Spirit, and He will take up residence in your life and He will live inside you as a believer. Now, now that is a blessing that people of the Old Testament never had. Abraham, as great as he was, never lived under the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. David never did. Jonah never did. Job never did. None of those Old Testament heroes of the faith ever lived with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit within their life. Now, the Spirit was with them for specific tasks, assignments, but when that assignment was finished, the Holy Spirit was withdrawn. But when Jesus departs from this earth, he breathes into his disciples the Holy Spirit, and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on those believers and on those in attendance and those who accepted Jesus as their Savior from that moment forward lived with the power of the Holy Spirit residing in them. That is, that is phenomenal when you think about it. That the power that brought the world into being now lives inside your heart as a believer. It's what happened as a result of resurrection. Jesus left. Jesus ascended back to the Father with the promise of returning to get us one day. But in the meantime, we're not, we're not left without hope or without help or without comfort. We're left with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Now let's look back in John's Gospel and let's look at one example of one disciple who, 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 who shared with us through the Gospel of John uh, an experience that happened after the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 24 of John 20, if you would read with me there. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So post-resurrection, there was a gathering of the disciples and Jesus appeared to them. And when that experience happened, Thomas was not in the group. I don't know where Thomas was, we're not told. I don't know if he had a more important meeting. I don't know if he had to work that day. I don't know if he was at a ball game. I don't know where he was. We just know he was not in the presence of the disciples when Jesus made his first post-resurrection uh, experience with the disciples. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. And, and so he said to them, unless I see the hands, the, the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of, the, of those nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now we've given him a nickname as a result of this experience. You know what it is? Doubting Thomas. Uh, put yourself in Thomas's shoes just a minute. Would you, wouldn't you have the same response if... If you, had, if you had witnessed the death of Jesus on the cross and you, you, had, you had seen them put him in a tomb and the door was shut and sealed and you knew that was the end of his earthly life and then people started talking to you that, about the fact that they had seen him and he's alive again, wouldn't you be a little suspect yourself? There may be a little doubting Thomas in all of us. There may be a little doubting Thomas right where you sit this morning. Maybe you've been to church a lot in your life and maybe you've, you've heard the gospel over and over and again, but for some reason you've just not believed. You've not said yes to the draw of the Holy Spirit in your life 
pulling you toward Jesus. You've, you've, you've heard about him, you've read about him, you know about him, you can talk about him. You've just never had a life-changing relationship with him. So you can understand a little bit about Thomas's attitude at this point when he doubted whether Jesus had really appeared or not. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them this time. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, now, now Jesus was not present when they told him that Jesus had been with them and that they had seen him alive. Jesus was not in the room when that conversation, well, Jesus was not physically present when that conversation happened, but he knew about the conversation, didn't he? It's interesting that the scripture points out and John points out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that when Jesus appeared after eight days and the disciples are gathered again and Thomas is there with them, the first person Jesus seeks out in that crowd is Thomas. He goes straight to him and says, peace be unto you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. How did Jesus know that? I mean, my goodness, alive. Thomas had said to the other disciples, unless I... Unless I look at his hands and touch them, and unless I look at his side and I'm able to touch it and, and see the, where the nails were in his feet and the crown of thorns was on his head, I, I will not believe. And Jesus walks in eight days later, goes straight to Thomas, sticks out his hand and says, touch it. That's how intimate Jesus knows you. That's how intimately he's aware of, of your life and about your attitude and about your, your decisions. He, he understands that. He knows that. He's, he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. That's a seminary word, but, but it just means he knows everything about you. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows your attitude toward him. He knows your attitude towards sin. He knows everything there is to know about you. The Gospels even say He knows you so well that even the hairs on your head are numbered. For some of you, He has to count higher than for some of the rest of us. But that's how well He knows you. And that's how well He knew Thomas. He said, reach your finger here. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He saw for himself. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you and I didn't have the opportunity to see Jesus when he was earthly living on this, on this planet. We weren't able to spend time with him. We weren't able to walk with him. We weren't able to go to any of the miracles that Jesus performed and see those with our own eyes. We came along after the fact, some 2,000 years after Jesus ascended back to the Father. But many of us this morning have believed. 
We've believed in Jesus. We've, we've had a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that life-changing relationship not only affects us as we live out the rest of our life right now, it will also affect us in terms of eternity when we go to heaven after death calls us home. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what will it take for you The scriptures are plain. Thomas said, if I can just see the nail prints in his hands and in his side where they thrust the spear, and if I can, if I can just see those things, I'll, I'll believe. But what's it going to take for you? What will it take for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? What will it take for you to believe that Jesus has the power to change your life? What will it take for you to understand that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for your life that is both full and meaningful and exceeds anything you could ever experience in anything else that you try in your life? What will it take for you to believe? Well, what do you have to do? That's a, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. What's needed in your life? The Bible says that's clear. First of all, acknowledge your sin. All throughout Scripture, there are these individuals. Isaiah, at his call in Isaiah 6, when he found himself in the presence of God, the first thing he says was, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a group of people of unclean lips. In other words, Isaiah is saying, I'm a sinner and I live among a bunch of fellow sinners. That's Isaiah's story. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, a very educated individual. Member of the Sanhedrin, top 70 Jewish leaders in Jerusalem at the time. And ask Jesus, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> I mean, my grace is alive. First thing you got to do is admit you're a sinner. You got to see yourself as one who has sinned. So you take to heart the message of Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you understand the consequence of that sin as it's spelled out in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, spiritual separation from God eternally. And, and so that, that, that consequence of sin in your life has to be addressed. It has to be dealt with. We've already said there is nothing you can do personally to forgive your sin, to have your slate with God wiped clean apart from what Jesus did for you on the cross and in the tomb. There's nothing you can do to fix yourself. There's nothing you can do to correct the problem that exists between yourself and God. But what you can't do, God has done. God has provided a way. And that way is Jesus Christ. So not only do you admit your sin and own up to it, acknowledge it, you also that Jesus and believing in Him is the only way to have that sin forgiven. Romans 10 would say to us, 
that, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so not only must you acknowledge your sin before God and say to him, I'm a sinner, you also acknowledge that Jesus is the only one who can forgive your sin. That's why John 14, 6 tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You don't get there by obeying the Jewish law. You don't get there by offering sacrifices at an altar, an animal. You, you, don't, you don't get there by anything other than the sacrifice that has been laid down on your behalf, which is the death of Jesus and ultimately his resurrection. And through that you can have the promise of everlasting life. And finally, that what's needed is to confess Jesus is Lord. It means to go public with your commitment. It means to become a part of a fellowship of believers like this one and become part of this family of faith and begin growing in your relationship with God and growing in your understanding of what it means to be a person of faith and doing what you can to live out your faith before others so that they can see Jesus in you. That's, that's what it means. It means to become more and more like Jesus in your life. It means that your life becomes a reflection of Jesus. That is, that is critical. So what will it take? Well, for Thomas, he said, I need to see his hands and his side. Otherwise, I will not believe. He was just being honest. Jesus never chided him for his lack of belief. He just walked up to him in that first gathering where they were in the same room, held out his hand and said, touch here pulled open his garment and said, touch here. And the response of Thomas was, my Lord and my God. So what will it take for you to believe? Well, some may say, well, I just need to get my life straightened out. I made some bad choices in my life and I'm dealing with some consequences and I need to get all that straightened out before I come to have faith in Jesus. Could I just honestly say to you this morning, you're never going to get your life straightened out by yourself. There's just not anything you can do. You can't fix the problem. You may say, well, I'm not going to do those things again. But you might. <laughs> you can't fix it. You can't fix yourself from the inside out. You, can, you may change some of your habits. I mean, how many of us have actually come to January 1st and had a New Year's resolution that for that next year we were going to lose weight and we were going to get down to what we weighed in high school? <laughs> and probably by the 5th of January, that one was out the window, okay? You just kind of said, well, that's a great idea, a good thought, but it's just not going to happen. I can just straighten my life out. That'd be nice if you could. But the Bible says you can't. Because sin is such a serious problem in your life. Before you can fix yourself, somebody has to forgive your sin. And only Jesus can do that. So if you're waiting till you get your life straightened out before you believe, 
uh, it's probably not going to happen. I need to get my marriage back together. We're having some marital issues and, and we're just not seeing eye to eye right now. And I just don't think I can, I can have this kind of life change right now until I get that straightened out. You know, when you come to Christ, not only does your relationship with God change, your relationship with people around you change. And if you'll let Jesus change you from the inside out, it'll make you a better husband. It'll make you a better wife. It'll make you a better parent. It'll make you a better child. Because you'll be living your life under the control of the Holy Spirit. And He'll be guiding you on what you need to say and what you need to do and how you need to live. That's what the Holy Spirit does on a daily basis that's continually lived out through your life as a believer. So I could say this morning on the authority of God's Word, the best thing you could do for your marriage is to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus if you don't already have one so that you can be the spouse or the parent or the child that God has created you to be. So if you're waiting till your marriage gets back to some kind of harmonious bliss before you believe, good luck. Or maybe you say, well, I just need to have fun. I, I, I'm enjoying my life right now. I got a good bunch of friends and everything's going real well and we're happy and I'm having a good time and I'm living it up and just let me be like the prodigal. Let me just get what's coming to me and enjoy my life. Uh, didn't turn out well for the prodigal, did it? Luke 15, he got off in the far country. The Bible tells us as long as he had money, he had friends. But when his money ran out, his friends did too. And all of a sudden, he's away from home. He's away from his father. He's away from his family. He's away from his friends. He's away from the ones who truly love him. And the Bible says, I think it's one of the most beautiful verses of Scripture. Luke 15, 17 opens up with the prodigal in his, in his low spot of life. The Bible says, and he came to himself. And, and he immediately said, I'm going to go back home to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your children. So would you take me back as a servant? So he, he, he goes home. He, he doesn't know what his dad's reaction is going to be. He doesn't have a clue. Uh, he, he had embarrassed his family very probably. He'd, he'd gotten a third of his dad's estate while his dad was still living. That's something you didn't do in those days. And, 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 and if you're like most people, most of what you own is not in cash. It's in land. And in this case, a farmer, it's in animals. And he had to liquidate some of his assets to be able to give his son what he wanted. And the father did that because he loved him. And he gave him an opportunity to go find out for himself what life was about. And a few months, years later, here's the son coming back home. And what does he find? He finds the father running off the front porch, running to him, putting his arms, arms around him, hugging him, kissing him, saying to the servants, put the ring on his finger, put the robe on his back, put the shoes on his feet. My son was dead and he's alive again. That father in that story represents God. And that prodigal represents you and me. We've gone to the far country. And we've had our fun. 
But our fun is not what we thought it was going to be. Our fun has actually destroyed us, separated us, alienated us. And so rather than saying, if I just get to have my fun, I can, once that's over and I'm too old to have fun, I'll come back. Or maybe I need to get my finances in order. We're, we're upside down in debt and we're, you know, all you people talk about at church is giving and tithing and I don't have anything to give and tithe so I can't come right now. <laughs> oh, friends, don't, don't let that stop you. If you've made a mess of yourself financially, you know, the Bible has some great principles for managing money. It starts out in Matthew 6, 33 and says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, if you follow Jesus today, the creditors in your life are not going to say, Well, debt's canceled. You don't owe me anything. But I promise you, Jesus will change your life. He'll change what's important to you. And he'll allow you to have some understanding about life that you can't find anywhere else. So what's it going to take for you to believe? If the cross and the resurrection are not enough, if what Jesus has done in the lives of other people is not enough, what's it going to take for you to believe? It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. We celebrate the fact that Jesus can be alive in your life. And I promise you, on the authority of God's Word, if that happens for you, (laughs) your, your life will change. Your, your life will not be the same from that point forward. Your life will be different. You'll be able to reach your potential as a human being. You'll be able to become the person that God has created you to be. But, but if you keep throwing up these reasons why you can't do that, let me, let me just tell you, it's not going to change. You're never going to find fulfillment and happiness in your life apart from Christ. So what's it going to take? For you to believe. Pretty simple for Thomas. Just see his nail prints in his hands. The word spear went to his side. I'll, I'll believe. It ought to be simple for us, shouldn't it? In light of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And in light of what he did in coming back to life from the tomb. And the promises he gives. And the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that he provides. All of those things being done on your behalf, those things are yours for the taking this morning. Just say yes to Jesus. Just let him, let him change you from the inside out. Become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the truths of your word, for, the, for just the honesty of scripture that just says to us, As long as we're living apart from Christ, we're not really living at all. The only way to find true and 
meaningful life and fulfilled life is to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. There may be one either in this room today or in the satellite room across the way or watching online who knows this morning that if their life were to come to an end today, they would spend eternity apart from you. And that's not what you want. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not what the Holy Spirit wants. What the Holy Spirit wants is a life change, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that helps us become the person you've created us to be. So, Father, we pray that you'll help us today as we come to our moment of decision now that if there's a a need, a, a desire that you've placed in our heart through your Spirit's presence, you'd give us the courage to act on that today. And let this be the day, Resurrection Sunday be the day that we truly come to life in relationship with you. Bless us now as we share this moment together in Jesus' name. Amen.